So I'm going to go into the third message today of uh, 1 John. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John 1, 4 to 10. Um, I'm really, really loving this book. Um, I've always liked it, but when you're studying it deeper, I'm just having this new appreciation for it. It's truly fantastic. Um, to the writer, who many of us know now is John, Apostle John, Christianity wasn't a secondhand experience. Christianity wasn't a class or a course in theology. It was a first-hand experience. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. He lived with him for over three years, right? In the flesh. He heard things. He saw things. He heard him. He saw miracles. He heard with his own ears the Sermon on the Mount. He was at the Last Supper. He was right there. I truly believe that this book, if you let it, can revolutionize your life. Like, it can revolutionize your relationship with God, your relationship with people, and your relationship with holiness and what that looks like. One of the reasons I love the book, and there are many, is actually comes right out of the scripture that we're memorizing. One of the major themes in this book is real love right? We just looked at the memory verse. We were just saying it together. First John three sixteen. we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And what comes out of real love is that idea of having an unbreakable fellowship, fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. And when this real love is poured out, we all benefit. We're all blessed by this. So we've heard lots about Apostle John over the last couple weeks. Um, and even when Pastor John did the reenactment kind of in first person there, he had called himself Thunder, son of thunder. Um, and John began as this son, of thun this son of thunder, this extremely judgmental religious guy who went around and when he didn't get greeted kindly by people, he wanted it to rain down fire from heaven and burn them up, right? And if anybody who was to scorn him, that's what he wanted. And then he transitions from this young man of thunder to this old man who in the end, his disciples would say to him, you know, John, teach us, teach us. What, what do we need to know? What's it all about? And he would say, little children love one another. Well, if you track that and you believe the word, that it's something that really truly happened in somebody's life, that he legit wanted to call down thunder and burn people alive, and to a person who now can only say, little children, let us love one another, this is an enormous transformation. John's saying that the main reason why my life was entirely transformed is because this crazy thing happened. I met this guy. His name is Jesus. Meeting Jesus turned, turned John from a man of ferocious judgment to a man of ferocious love, a man full of joy. And the prayer is, as we go through this book, that God will do that for us too. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, hey, like, I know who God is right? I've been through this book. I've known who God is longer than you've known who God is. But see, this is the question that uh, I feel like John raises out of this book. If you know God, this is the test. 
is your life defined by furious, ferocious love, by real love? Do you have perfect, full, complete joy? John would say, if not, then I'm sorry, you've never met God. And this is the challenge that John throws at us. John is a Jewish man. He would have spent a lot of time, his life, learning about God. Memorizing the Old Testament, praying, going to the synagogue, right? But after meeting Jesus, God face to face, arm in arm, able to touch him heart to heart, John has this revelation. Sure, John thought he knew who God was, but when he met God in the flesh, full on God, he could gaze upon his hands, he could touch Jesus, he could only say that God is love. So, who's God? Who do you think God is? Who do you really believe God to be? Because that's going to determine how you walk the rest steps of your life. It really will. So let's read 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 4, where Pastor John left off. I'm keeping this simple. We're going to go verse by verse. So John begins his first point of the letter here. Pastor John told us that, that you're going to notice throughout the book that he says, here's why I'm writing this book. So here's the first one. Our, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So do you remember what Pastor John said last week? God wants you to experience what kind of joy? Full, perfect complete joy. And Pastor John also pointed out that Apostle John had heard this first from someone else who said it. He's just repeating what somebody else already said. He was in the room when it was said, and that was Jesus. So John says, one reason that I'm writing you this book is I want you to have the fullness of joy. Joy is much bigger than happiness much grander than happiness. We confuse joy and smiling with each other. Joy is being a, a, it's a fruit of the spirit. When we find joy, joy is infused with comfort and grace and wrapped in peace. That's joy. The world is desperately searching for joy. And what the world is searching for, Jesus has promised you. We can have. You can have. The gospel produces joy. Now, a Christian without joy, Pastor John talked about last week as well, is a little bit of a mystery to me. And I know that we all have bad days. Of course we do. But sometimes we tend to give off the idea or the message that following Jesus is just kind of a bummer. Right? That it's all we do is suffer. Like, look at me, I'm suffering. I'm a Christian. Life is so hard and the world is so bad. But I'm going to go get through this. I'm going to get through it and die and go to heaven. Really? Like, is that all you got going on? You're just going to grin and bear it and die and go to heaven? That's your only hope? We should be full of joy. 
Billy Sunday, a professional baseball player and evangelist during the early 1900s, used to say this, it's a quote from him. If there's no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Is there a leak in your Christianity? John had fullness of joy, but yet suffered being exiled. He suffered the threat of being boiled in oil. And I believe he had the fullness of joy. And he writes that we also might have this fullness of joy. So verse five, notice this. It's a question, kind of, well, an answer to a question. Who is God? It says, this is the message. We have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. So who's God? He's light with no darkness. Well, what does John mean by this? Well, I'm gonna go in a roundabout way here. There's this parallel between Genesis and 1 John. I first learned this from a New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, and I was just like, wow, he, he, he's right. I need to explore this. So I started to explore this, did some investigating, and it started to kind of make perfect sense. So I came to the conclusion that possibly John's favorite book of the Bible was the book of Genesis. Because he's always talking about in the beginning this, in the beginning that. It was in the last message too, right? In the beginning, right? From the beginning. Genesis, that's Genesis, right? In the beginning. From the beginning when he talked about the word of life. Well, where did you have, where do you have word that brings life? In the book of Genesis. This is where all life comes into being. The only people who believed in God that just speaks life into existence is the Hebrew people. So if we think through Genesis, because John would have believed Genesis, believed the story of life, it tells us what's gone wrong with the world, if you know Genesis. And what was the very first thing that was spoken into being? Let there be light. Now, what's John's first thing that he says about God? Light. Okay, so God is like light. If you go back to the story of Genesis, you can read actually your whole life story through this book so that you can understand that our lives are caught up in this grand story of what's gone wrong. And John can teach us how to make it right. Now, Genesis' story is commonly called, if you've been around the church a long time, the fall. Um, sometimes we miss the really good bits because we're so used to talking about the fall. So today, I want you to think of it a little different. I want you to think of it as the big lie. Because in the Genesis story, the serpent undoes Adam and Eve with one simple question. Did God really say? What was the serpent trying to accomplish by asking that question? Doubt. He was putting God's character into question so that forever they'll think, is, is God withholding something from me? What is in that fruit anyways? It's gotta be amazing. God must be wanting to keep it all from himself, right? Does he have a hidden agenda? Like really, if I ate that fruit, might I become more equal 
with him? Could I get his goodness from it? He must have an agenda. He's not on my side. Is he keeping good for himself? Maybe that's where his good is coming from, from that fruit. So I could just eat it, I could be like that too. Can I even really trust him at all? Is there darkness in God? Is he good? This is the first question that must be answered because it is in the doubt that's been put there in humanity from the beginning of time. Can God really be good? Now, John believes that in Jesus, he has seen God, right? Jesus, just as God is, and it changed everything that he thought he knew. So much so that John literally says, this is the message. This is the message. You don't usually say this is the message unless you really want to be straightforward. This is the message, says John, that because of Jesus, we no longer need to live with this tarnished view of God. Rather, we can know him just as he is. Jesus is God, full stop. God is clearly seen and there is nothing hidden or sinister about him. This is what it means that God is light. He is revealed. He's revealed to us. We see him crystal clear. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God, not a part of God, not one side of God, but of the very being and character of God. God is light. You can clearly see him in Jesus. He's 100% known absolutely as he is. In fact, John later in his letter will sum it up to you that God is love. And real love is found in the light. Joy is found in the light. So this is the message. God is light with no darkness. The God is known through Jesus. So everything else that John's going to say should flow through these thoughts. So verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So just a side note here before I get into this verse, this word fellowship, which I know Pastor John brought up last week, it was in his verses as well, and it's in this verse and then it's in the next verse. But just so we're all on the same page, fellowship means partnership. It means communion, community. Um, we have something in common with God, something in common as believers. That's why the family theme is so prominent, right? God is our father, and if he's my father, and he's your father, that makes us brothers and sisters. So we should treat each other with the same kind of tenderness and care, right? John says, little children love one another. I honestly think, my opinion, that the weakest link in the church is fellowship. True fellowship with God and with each other. When it comes to ministering to one another, that's why we place such an importance on neighborhood groups. Breaking up our large family 
into smaller units where you can care for one another and share with one another and pray and take care of needs physically, emotionally, accountability. Pastor John can't do that all on his own. So we break up into smaller units. You just cannot get that by being part or just part of an audience experience. The body of Christ in fellowship with one another. So back to verse six. So if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the next part's going to, next verses are going to be harder to hear. Now, just so you know, I'm not like fooling you about this Genesis parallel and uh, stuff. I'm going to go back there for a second. So I first, I said the first thing the serpent did was put doubt about God's goodness and intentions in the mind of humanity. And if you remember how the story played out, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do next? They hid. And what did they do after they hid? They covered themselves, right? Why did they cover themselves? They are ashamed, afraid. Who were they afraid of? God? Do you see what I'm saying? This is a problem. This is the lie. You can get so bound up in your life because the devil is a liar that the person you start to hide from is God. Then the devil has you because you think that you can hide from God. When you do wrong or you sin, the answer can immediately be to try to hide from those you love and hide from God who is love, who is joy. And there's no hope there. And we can do that because the devil distorts our minds as to who God is. We instead begin to see him as a fault-finding, punishing God. Like he's always looking for wrong. Do you believe that that's the God that you serve? Ask yourself this. When you sin, is your first thought to hide? from people, from God. If it is, you might see him as a fault-finding judge. When others sin, is your first thought to judge them? Again, you could see him as a fault-finding God. But see, John's answer is simple. He says, hey, no problem. I'm going to tell you about the gospel. So you can come to know the real God. There's no need to hide. John's saying that in Jesus, we see God clearly. And we know that God is love. And we will never really experience this love until we stop hiding. And come out of the dark. Why? Because real love is found in the light. Joy is found in the light. And until we do this, all of our claims to fellowship with God, they're lies. You notice that's what John says. He says it pretty plainly. It's a lie and you're not practicing the truth. Are you practicing the truth of who you are? Admitting it. So just as John dealt with this core problem that plagued humanity from the beginning of time, the problem of seeing God as having some sort of darkness or hiddenness. 
Now John confronts us with the second problem. It's the problem of our own hiddenness. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light, the light of love. And we know this. We know this. John now provides us with this wonderful picture of this new reality. He says, this is awesome. This is how it is. You get to walk in the light. You get to walk in the light, just as Jesus is in the light right now, because real love is found in the light. You need to come out of hiding. Well, what can this mean? Like, what does that mean? Well, this is where I need you to stick with me just for a second. Just track with me. It is very common, I would say darn near universal, to think that what John means by walking in the light is going to enhance your moral life, is enhancing it. So give, let me explain. So this is how you read it. This is the message that I proclaim to you, that God is good, he's not bad. If we say we have fellowship in him and walk in bad things, we lie and don't practice good things. But if we walk in good as he is good, we can actually have a relationship because it's all based on goodness anyways. And the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, which doesn't make sense. Because if you're good, why does he need to cleanse you? Do you see what I'm saying here? You can put that word good in there, or you can think that word good, good and bad, but it's not the word. It doesn't work that way. It's not about enhancing our moral lives. I hope you see what I'm saying, because if you see it that way, which I did for a long time, this is the issue. You will hide. Because if you have bad, you feel like you can't come into relationship. Newsflash! We all have bad in us, every single one of us. It's not about goodness and badness. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Whoever said you had to be? What are you even talking about? Or how about, well, I don't have it all together, but who does? Point me to the one person that you know who has it all together, because I would love to meet them. We've got to stop saying stuff like that because it doesn't make any sense. Next thing you know, you're thinking, well, I've sinned 57 times today, and I'm probably not good enough now to come to God. And so what do you do? You start to follow that story of Genesis. You go back into the darkness. You start hiding, and you believe the lie that there's darkness in God, that he's this judge, he's fault finding you, and you live in fear. And everything that John wants to teach you is completely out the window. Walking in the light is not an invitation to a heightened level of moralism, that you're better than anyone else. It's an invitation to the heart of our Father, God, our Father. And one day we're going to know that morality, our good and bad, has never been and never will be the way into the presence of God. Ever. It has always been God's grace. Always will be God's grace.
Christ is already in the light. He's taken humanity face to face with the Father. That means our lives as human beings can never be the same. Because of what Jesus has done, our natural place is face to face with the Father. You belong in the presence of the Father. You. That's where we find our joy. That is where we find our joy. There is no longer any reason to hide. Just as Jesus is welcomed and accepted and loved and rejoiced over in the light, so are we. We are free to experience real love, real joy, because they're found in the light. And I don't know about you, but that's darn good news. Darn good news. God loves you, like 100% loves you. He wants fellowship with you since the beginning of time, since Genesis. So back to Genesis. So what happens after they hide and after they try to cover themselves, after the qu they questioning God, what do they do next? What's their next tactic? The next thing that most of us do. Blame. It's the very next thing that Adam and Eve do. No, it's this person's fault. No, it's that person's fault. No, it's my parents' fault. You know what that does? It makes fellowship terrible. I don't know about you, but I don't like hanging out with people who want to blame me for everything all the time. But walking in the light, being welcomed into God's presence, means that there's no need to place blame on one another anymore. We are free to be with and for one another. When we realize that there's nothing separating us from all the love that we ever wanted in our entire lives, when we realize that we could have the Father full on, we are free to walk in the light. When we realize that in the presence of God, our sins are wiped away. We don't have to hold anything against each other anymore. Blame is undone. Fellowship takes place. You know, when you have a potluck and they bring the wrong thing, like I specifically told you to bring a salad and you brought a lasagna. Like, how can I even eat this meal now? You see, God is with us and full on. We're gonna pray to God the Father and he's gonna love us like crazy, be present with us. Then who cares if we're eating salad or lasagna? Who cares whose fault it is? I'm only this way because I was raised this way. Stop the blame. We are free. You make mistakes. The people around you make mistakes. God is not going to love them any less or love you any less. And this makes fellowship. We all have problems. All this means is now we're all free to hang out with one another because I have problems and you have problems. But in the light, we're talking about real love. Listen to these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Just awesome, this man was actually an amazing man. He created communities around the time of the Nazis and he changed people's lives. Christ made us in the community of faith and in the community, Christ made the other Christians to be grace for us. Now each stands in Christ's place in the presence of another Christian. I don't need to pretend 
In another Christian's presence, I'm permitted to be the center that I am. For there alone in all the world is the only place on earth where the truth and mercy of Jesus Christ rule. That's what we get to have with one another. That. We get to have that. That's fellowship. And this is available to each one of us who choose to follow Jesus, walk in the light. Even with all of our faults and our failings, if we really believe that Jesus deals with our sin when it comes to light, then we can be a safe place of grace for others, even when terrible things happen. And guess what? This fellowship, this amazing gift that we get to have, it brings us joy. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you think you have no sin, ask the person right next to you, or the closest person to you. I'm sure they'll tell you. Just don't tell them or they'll get defensive, right? I'm talking about being grace for one another. If I make a mistake, and I go to Pastor John, or I go to my group, I expect to find grace. Because we have fellowship. And then you start thinking, what? This has gone too far, Yasmin. Like, I must be reading this wrong, because John's not cracking down on sin every single chance he gets. I want us to really understand this next part. Have you noticed how many if-we's there are? We've seen a lot of them, if-we's. It's, and John's primary concern is not with those who have sin. Grace can deal with sin. Christ has dealt with sin. John's concern is something that is a much more terrible, it's much more of a terrible reality of those who pretend they are not sinners. Notice what he says, if we say we have no sin, notice the repetition, if we say, if we say we have no sin, and whenever there's repetition, it usually means it's important, notice what's the most important to John. Don't say you don't have sin. Christ can deal with sinners, but there's no place to deny that we've never sinned in the first place, right? Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Pastor John told us that this is being written to the, the Gnostic people. Well, those are those Gnostics, you know? They thought they had no sin, all right? It's them. But I'll tell you who says they don't have sin. Me? You? What if people see my badness? What's going to happen? I just won't. I, I won't let them know that one. I, not that one. No, no, no one needs to know that part. It's just a small one anyways. Then it snowballs, you know, into 50 other ones that I'm not going to talk about. But no big deal, right? Jesus already forgave me. I don't have to talk about it because you just see my goodness. And that's the only part that matters anyways. Like if you see the size of my goodness, you won't actually even care about my sin anymore. I'm telling you, the easiest place to hide your sin is in religion. It's the easiest place. Why? Because Christ really does change your life. The worst part is God is so good, he changes our lives, and then we're like, thanks God, I did that. That was all me. 
He really does change our lives, okay? But when we hide our sin, we create communities of self-deception. We look like hypocrites. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us if we say we have no sin. Since Genesis, it says we sin. We create places and we do this unintentionally. It happens when you were young or even now when you're young, young people grow up in fear that someone will find out who they are or what they've done because they've sinned. And they're never going to tell anybody what's going on. Rather than us making these communities, these safe places of forgiveness, where young people can admit what they've done and find healing. You can't be healed ever of a sin that you won't reveal. You can't. The result is, this terrifying reality, is we can create places where we cut people off from the only source of cleansing. And what is that? It's in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is that God is light. The truth is that we do know who God is and that he is the one who loves us. And he is the only one who can cleanse us. The truth is that Jesus is, Jesus is the only hope ever in the world for sinners. He's the only hope. And he wants to welcome sinners with open arms. The only question is, as his people, people who bear his name, will our lives deny that reality? When we hide sin, John says, the truth is not in us. We reveal that we don't know the God that we find in Jesus Christ. We reveal that we believe that there's some other way out there that our sin can be dealt with other than the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever tried this one, so I'm too humble enough to accept forgiveness from Jesus. So what I've done instead, I just try a whole heck of a lot harder. Have you tried that before? That's what I've done. That's actually what lots of these books and these teachings tell you. You get a book that talks about your, in, your sin or whatever, and at the, at the end of it, I just, all I see is try harder. Well, you know what? I've tried pretty darn hard. There's no joy there. Absolutely no joy there. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can deal with our sin. He's the only way. You try any other way, you're just going to get this big, fat, heavy yoke on your back. Real love and joy is found in the light. It's yours. We just need to come out of hiding, confess our sins. And the last part. John says, I got a solution for you. So verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not within us. See, this is the coolest part about it. God loves to forgive our sins. All sin. He's actually cheerfully happy to do so. That's how awesome he is. In the Old Testament, you'll read it when it says, who has even heard of a God that delights in forgiveness? Who's ever even heard of a God like that? Have you ever heard of this? He delights in forgiveness. 
There is no God ever who delights in forgiveness except for the God that we know in Jesus Christ. And notice the question that John says, if we, if we is the question, he is saying to you, will you, will you, will you, if we, if we is the only question, if we confess our sins, notice where John says there is no question ever. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive you. No question. He is. I'm telling you, he is faithful to forgive you. He is just to forgive you. God is faithful to forgive all of your sins. So if you confess your sin, his grace will always outlast your sin. You got big sin, you're about to experience bigger grace. Time and time again, I talk to people about various sins in their lives. And you know why? Because everyone's got sin in their life. And God's forgiveness never runs out. God is the one who wants us to to save us. The devil's the one who wants to entrap you, who wants to isolate you from fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. What good does it do for God to leave you to die in your sins? He loves you. He's not giving up on you. And that's the only other option we have without Jesus. Whenever we think forgiveness will run out, we become trapped in the belief that there's a way to get out of it on our own. And is there? There never has been, and there never will be. Another way to deal with sin than through the forgiveness that's offered through the blood of Christ. It's the only way. But the good thing, there's many good things. If you believe it, it'll change people's lives. It can change people's lives. It does change people's lives. Because you know what? It means they have a chance. It brings light. It brings joy. God will always be faithful to this reality. He is faithful. He is the definition of, a, of faithful to forgive. He's a relentless forgiver. He would rather die in our place than leave us to die in our sins. And that's never going to change because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is who he is. This is the God that we get to know in Jesus Christ. Come into the light. Real love awaits you. Real joy is yours to grab. In Christ, the just punishment for our sins has already been carried out. This is a once for all time verdict. This is the glory of Jesus on the cross. In fact, it goes further than that. It's a once for all people verdict. So John can say that if anybody, anybody does sin, good news people, we have an advocate. He's with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's paid the price for our sins, for the whole world. The verdict's been given out, it's finished. It's not about being good enough. You hear people say that all the time. It's not about being too bad. It's about Jesus. You have the same odds of your badness preventing you from Jesus as you do from your goodness preventing you from Jesus. 
Only as we confess do we align our, our, ourselves with and participate in what God has already done for us. He's already loved and died for you. It's done. Through his love, this crazy love, this real love, that whoever confesses their sin to him, he will be faithful and justly forgiven. And he's happy to do it. Real love, real joy is found in the light. You need to come into the light. Don't hold on to your goodness. This is the time for us Christian people to lead the way in confession. It's our right and our privilege to lead the way. Our lives must speak truth to this world, that there's only one hope for humanity, and that hope is found in Jesus. So as long as we hide our sins, it's gonna suck your joy, and we're gonna deny that reality. Everywhere you look, you're gonna find people who think they could never be forgiven for the things that they have done. Everywhere you look, heck, that might even be you. They think that God could never want or love someone like this. Just a straight up sinner. Good for nothing, nobody. Done too much. Done not enough. They can't even bring themselves to walk in the doors of a church. They live their life so far away from the presence of God. Some don't even believe that he exists. We don't need to make ourselves fit for his presence. We don't need to clean ourselves up. He's already done it. We can walk in the light of God's love and forgiveness because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And I don't know about you, but that brings me joy. There's no need to hide. There's nothing left to fear. You can have real love, real joy in Jesus. It's found in the light. Let's stand and let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the faithful apostles and people that paved the way for us, Father, who write of your goodness and, and share these things to us, Father. I thank you that you're the light, that you sent Jesus to earth so you could be revealed among us, this real love that our joy can be found in you and that we can enjoy you. I pray for everyone here that they would hear this message, that they would know that you are the God who delights in forgiveness and that we would be willing to confess our sins we may have big sins. I know it's hard, but you have bigger grace, Father. I want them to know that and believe that. And I praise you for that. Let us open up to others. Be honest about our sin. Let us be people who become crazy about telling people that there's a God who loves them. I thank you that I belong in your presence and with you. That I can have fellowship with you and I can have fellowship with others. I thank you that you delight in forgiveness. If we confess our sins, you are so faithful to forgive us, Father, and I thank you for that, Jesus, for loving us that much. Thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for this perfect love, this perfect peace, your perfect grace. And I thank you that you want us to have complete joy, 
full, complete, perfect joy that can only be found in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.